When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. I'm Niall and this is the award-winning Premier League podcast, Football Social Daily. Hit subscribe now and don't miss an episode right throughout pre-season and into the new top flight campaign, which isn't far away now. And this summer has been one of uncertainty for Crystal Palace fans so far, as they've spent most of the last few weeks wondering just who their manager is going to be next season. After the removal of Vieira, Roy Hodgson returned to steady the ship and it was announced earlier this week that the former England boss is staying put at Selhurst for one more year. He may be the oldest manager in the Premier League, but Roy got a tune out of Palace's players at a crucial time last term. The question is, is it the right choice to stick with him for one more season? Well, joining us on today's show to share his thoughts is Jim from the Crystal Palace podcast, Five Year Plan. Thanks for joining us, Jim. How are you doing? No problem uh, at all. Pretty good. So Roy Hodgson yeah, staying at Selhurst Park. Was that a surprise for you or not? It wasn't really. I mean, it was sort of like the worst kept secret in football in that it had been reported by pretty much everywhere apart from literally the the only place left, the club themselves to do it. <laughs> Why? Palace have a little bit of a history of um, delaying announcement for something they don't they don't they have a policy of not announcing contract renewals so everyone just has to sort of guess depending on like the players smiles in training <laughs> and uh for some reason they delayed this one as well but so when it happened we all sort of it was more of like a sort of sigh of relief like okay well that's done we can move on to more pressing things like transfers we were all sort of expecting it to be Roy there was a couple of rumors of uh Fonseca possibly and then there was Rumours going around Twitter that Brendan Rodgers had interviewed and had come across really errantly or something and Parrish had told him to get out of my office or something. I'm sure that's not true. <laughs> um, and Potter hadn't... Graham Potter didn't even interview. So um, I think uh, the, the lack of real strong rumour on anyone else, I think, led me most people to believe it probably would be Roy again. And obviously the last two months of the season, you know pretty much solidified the fact that he would come back anyway so it's happened we're all kind of expecting it to and I think there's there's bigger fish to fry in terms of the squad in the next whatever six weeks till the season starts. I was going to ask you about that because I was fortunate enough to actually be at Selhurst Park the day Roy Hodgson came back it was against Leicester the atmosphere that day was awesome in South London and that last goal from Jean-Philippe Mateta to pick up three points which was absolutely vital at the time a great start to his return and he continued it so I guess it's fair enough that he's been given another year I think it, I think it was his if he wanted it essentially because we've, we've heard Roy say numerous times he's retiring or he, he's stepping down and then he's obviously a football man you know 50 years in the game he's obviously obsessed with the game and and, and Palace came calling asking for a bit of help and he's a Palace fan born in Croydon you know local lad so he's helped the team out and and I, I suspect that after that six or seven weeks whatever it was uh, that Steve Parrish is probably thinking, do you know what? After the stress of, of two years ago of getting Vieira, who was essentially third choice and, and trying to get these other two managers and it, it didn't really work. And I, I, I suspect he didn't want the hassle of trying to go through that again and probably thought, 
might as well just give it to Roy if he wants it. I mean, you're right. That Leicester game was incredible, really, given how we had 34 shots on goal in that game and we hadn't had a shot on target in the previous three games under Vieira. So he turned things around really quickly. And I think as soon as that Mateta goal went in and, and had we drawn that game, it would have been frustrating, not the end of the world. I think the fact that we won it, firstly, a lot of Palace fans, myself included, were like, oh, we're fine. Like, we're going to be safe. Literally just one moment basically changed the season. It was a shock it was Mateta scoring because he doesn't do that very often and it was a very good goal. So that took some adjustments too. But um, you could tell within that 90 minutes that Roy was going to get a tune out of them. I mean, Eberaeze, he turned into a, an absolute match winner in about seven days' time of training. So you could just... You're right, the atmosphere was... You could just feel something in the ground that day that we were going to be okay. So... I mean, in an ideal world, we'd get a time machine and we'd clone a sort of 20-year younger Roy Hodgson and then we'd be absolutely set for the next couple of decades. And Obviously, time's not on his side, but he is, you know, you look at interviews with him and, and he is a, he's obsessed with football, he's very passionate and he's as young as he sort of feels and wants to be and I think it's his job until he sort of decides to call it a day. You mentioned the stress of Steve Parrish trying to get someone when Roy left the first time and he ended up settling on Patrick Vieira. What do you say to those people that maybe say Crystal Palace aren't ambitious enough because they've stuck with Roy Hodgson? Do you think that that's a fair critique or not? I mean, I saw, I do get it. I definitely get it as to why fans would want more. And there was a, was a very interesting quote attributed to Roy and Steve Parrish this time around, so this week, saying that we are going for top 10. We definitely want to aim for top 10. We think our squad's good enough. And if we add to it, we can get there. And I think that was obviously placating some fans who, who want, big ambitions and I guess when you've been in the Premier League 10 years yeah maybe that's fair to stop aiming towards there but I've been a Palace fan for 30 years now and I've seen us go into administration and nearly out of business not once but twice and when you've seen Palace struggle that much I've seen us get promoted and relegated promoted and relegated you know at one point a record time from the Premier League to be that kind of shapes your outlook a little bit and I personally am just happy with staying in the league because if you stay in the league then things can happen. You can get top 10. You know, you can make things happen. But once you fall out of the league, I mean, it, you could be another decade until you're back again. So to me, the ob the objective is always stay in the league. And then you'll never know what happens. Some teams have... You look at Brentford last couple of years. Like Anything can happen when you're in the Premier League. But that has to be the ambition to stay there. And then subsequent ambitions to push on come second secondary to me. But I, I totally get it. And I get why people would want that. But then I... I'm old enough to remember Stoke City trying to change things and, and, and we haven't seen them for a bit. Charlton Athletic, you know, which obviously is joyous for me as a Palace fan, but it's it's a tough league. But I think with Roy, I think you'll always be fairly comfortable and calm. I think I'm always quite calm that we'll be okay. But uh, the criticism levelled at Roy before was that he played boring football. And I understand where that comes from. I think it's more pragmatic football based on what he has. And in his previous spell, when he signed off, he had Scott Dan, James Tompkins at centre back. He had he had he had the oldest squad in the Premier League. And in the last six or seven weeks, we saw him with Elise, with Eze, with younger players at his disposal. He can get a tune out of them. So if the club providing the right tools, I think the football can be pragmatic yet exciting. I think it can be reliable and yet it can be forthright at the same time but he has to have the tools in place to do that just pulling it back to the decision to appoint Roy Hodgson he's obviously been given a year-long contract do you think Steve Parrish is already thinking about 
two years from now and who's going to replace Roy next time? Because if it was that stressful for Vieira coming in, I, I imagine he'll probably want to cut some corners and get ahead of the game next time. Yeah, and if he's not, he has to be. I mean, you know, in football management or business, and I'm not a businessy person. In fact, I'm literally the exact opposite of a businessy person, just ask my accountant. <laughs> um, you have to be planning ahead. And I know it's hard because things change in football all the time and it's a probably a very difficult environment to do much planning in. And whoever you want as manager now might lose their job or might get a better job, etc., etc. You you have to drop a, you know, a big shortlist. But you know, I've been watching a lot of... Um, succession on uh on uh sky atlantic i think it is and uh, it's making me feel like i know about business now and i don't um but it's all about <laughs> <laughs> well that is the word around palace succession at the moment because you're right in a year's time there will be you know it probably Roy will be 77 next year so without being ageist at all and you know i think he probably feels like he's still 50 67 but you you're gonna have to have a succession in plan in place sorry so but things could. I, I know that there, there's a couple of. Well, there's at least one Premier League manager I know that they're keen on, who's currently in a job. Um, but again, things could change there really, really quickly in, in in twelve months' time. So, yeah, I hope he is looking ahead. And if you look at our transfer policy, the, there is a good amount of planning in there. Look at Friedman. He's he's definitely looked ahead with a lot of our signings recently. So I hope the same with managers. But I, I don't know. But, I mean, it's been 10 years in the Premier League now, so hopefully Steve has learned a little bit from the things that have gone right or wrong. Although I will say in his defence, every time he's tried to do a project manager or, or or push on and change things a little bit, like Vieira, like Frank de Boer, and it's gone wrong, he's always been very, very good at getting... Well, so I'm about to say he's very, very good at getting the right person in. He just gets Roy. That's what he's done both times. So maybe, yeah, so maybe very true. if Roy gets fired next season, he'll just hire Roy Hodgson again to replace him and then everything will be all right. <laughs> <laughs> need to start investing in some cloning technology just you've got like a, a fresh Roy Hodgson every season <laughs> to, to wheel out when you need him um I think it's interesting that you're still sort of carrying a bit of baggage and mental scarring from 30 years of supporting Palace that you go into every season thinking if we can just stay up that's aim one and then anything above that is a bonus you've already touched upon the fact that Palace are you know, aiming for a top 10 finish next season in the Premier League. Are those ambitions maybe accelerated slightly because of what's happening down the road at Brighton and how successful they've been, perhaps? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's. I, I think the Brighton model is one that Palace want to replicate um, as much as they can. And they've, it, it pains me. It absolutely pains me to admit, but Brighton have been superb. Um, they've replaced good manager with better manager. They've replaced good players with better players. I mean, their model for recruitment is absolutely superb. Um, I think it'll be an interesting season for them with European football this year. And I think that will take a toll on, on things, but I expect them still to be to be up there. They're, they're very good. I mean, they've lost McAllister. They're going to lose Casado potentially as well. So, but, they, but to be honest, their track record in recruitment means they'll probably you know get better players. So, But how much do you want European football as a Palace fan? Because it, it's, I mean, I can't remember a time, not since I've been watching football anyway, that Palace have played European football. But, you know, there was a time a couple of seasons ago where you had games in hand, points to play for, and you probably could have snuck a European spot had you won those games and you didn't. I mean, 
I guess a European tour would be sort of the stuff of dreams for a lot of Palace fans. I mean, you must be you must be quite keen for that, I imagine. It would potentially lead to my divorce, but <laughs> I think it would be worth it. Um, it would be fantastic. They, I have seen Palace play in Europe, so getting really nerdy for a second. Um, in 1998, we got relegated from the Premier League after one season, of course. Um, but we got entered into the Intertoto Cup yes, through yes. the fair play we were so bad, they just gave us the fair play entry. They were like, just out of sympathy. And we played a Turkish team called Samsung Spur in the first qualifying round, whatever. Uh, and we lost both legs 2-0 in home and at Turkey. But I went to the home leg. So that was technically watching Palace in a European competition. That's the last time we played in Europe. So what's that, 25, 26 years count. ago? They all count. Exactly. Um, and we did actually, back in the 70s, play in the Anglo-Italian Cup. We were actually the first British team to win in the San Siro. Not that I'm clinging on to it, but you know we have to as Palace fans. Um, but it would be, it would be great to see Palace in Europe, yeah. Um, but for me, that feels quite far away, to be honest. I, I, I don't think our squad would be anywhere near ready for that. Um, they'd have to be some serious investment um, over the next couple of seasons. But you look at West Ham this season. I mean, they struggled in the league, but they won a European trophy, and I, and I wonder actually, would would I take finishing sixteenth, seventeenth, but winning the Europa Conference? I, I probably would actually. I think there's a lot to be said for having a stadium like Selhurst Park as well. I think when you play European football and you're not traditionally a European club, you can make up the deficit in other areas. And I'm a Portsmouth fan, so I remember when we got into the UEFA Cup, Fratton Park was kind of our X factor and helped us. Um, get some results that we never dreamed we could get. So I definitely think that if that was to ever transpire, that that could be potentially a benefit to Crystal Palace. But just finally then, moving into the new season, you've mentioned the squad and the players like Elise and Eze, who are young and exciting. What do Crystal Palace need? What sort of reinforcements, what problem positions are there going into the new season that you'd quite like to see addressed? Uh, We need a new right back. Um, because currently we have Nathaniel Klein, who is reliable but getting on and injury prone, and we have Joel Ward, Pompey legend, um, who yeah, I'm not is... taking any Joel Ward slander on this oh, podcast. Oh, well, you won't find any <laughs> on our podcast. You won't find any. We are, I think, we are number one in the Joel Ward fan club. The guy is like a robot. He just gets better and better. He is, I mean, defying the aging process. Mm. Seems to get better looking somehow, um, and has been an unbelievable servant for Palace. It's due a testimonial, actually, uh, very soon. Um, but like Roy, won't be around forever. So there definitely needs to be some sort of investment there. And up front, striker. I mean, at the moment, we have Edward, who's sort of flattered to deceive, but 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 is sort of quite tidy. And Mateta, who is the exact opposite in that he's not tidy at all. In fact, probably the clumbiest player I've ever seen at Palace, but seems to pop up with the old goal here and there. If they could, again, get the time machine or the sort of like the machine from the fly... And combine those two players, you'd almost have the perfect striker for the Premier League. But you know, finding a finding a twenty goal, fifteen goal a season striker in the Premier League is like panning for gold. I mean, it's so hard, and you're ha- you're looking at thirty, forty million minimum, which Palace don't have to spend. So that is a problem area. Elsewhere in the squad, we're okay. The Elise injury is um, disappointing. So he's reportedly torn his hamstring and he's out for two to three months. So he may miss the first. Two, one or two months of the season um, but that could open up a space for young players like Jez Raksaki who was Charlton's player of the year last year which is great that Charlton player of the year was a Palace player um, but really yeah the the areas centre back I think were okay um, 
but yeah, right back and striker are probably there is. I do, I do think Jefferson Lerma is a great signing on a free from Bournemouth. I mean, that he cost them 25 million a couple of years ago and, and hit a decore last season was our player of the year and that was his first year at Palace. And so they are slowly improving the squad in important areas. And I, I think decore Lerma and Eze could be a very, very interesting trio in midfield. So they're getting there. But yeah, it needs to be a couple more new faces through the door in the next month or so. All right, Jim, no doubt that that will be discussed on Five Year Plan, the Crystal Palace podcast, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be talking about Roy Hodgson's new signings, I'm sure, on the show in the coming weeks. Absolutely. Yeah, loads to talk about as ever. And uh, yeah, we've got plenty of episodes planned. Perfect. Jim, thanks for your time. Don't forget to check out Five Year Plan, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network as well. So uh, go and hit that subscribe button if you are a Crystal Palace fan. And also subscribe to Football Social Daily as we'll be back tomorrow looking at the latest transfer news from the Premier League. It still seems like it's yet to take off this summer. Who knows? You know what it's like. We'll get to the final week of August and all of a sudden we'll be swamped with that transfer news. But if you do want to stay in the loop, make sure you hit subscribe. But from Jim and myself, that is it for today. We'll catch you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.